Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast where two 20-somethings reread their favourite childhood book. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie. In this episode, we're going to be discussing chapters 14 and 15 of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. We hope you enjoy and remember to grab a glass of your favourite alcohol along with us. And welcome back to Goblet of Wine. Charlie, how are you doing? Fine. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I just feel like we should start asking each other how we are. It's just nice. But we know it? how we are. Only I'm because exactly they the, don't. They I'm, don't. How I have you been? Exactly the same as I have been for the past couple of hours as we recorded the previous two episodes. Are you giving away the, how much we're back to recording episodes? No, we're only doing two or three at the same time. I feel like that's reasonable. Yeah. But, that you know, may be a month and a half of content, but yeah. You know. But you know, how have you been? We just went on a walk. We did, yeah. We'd been recording for like two hours in a row and needed to clear our heads and probably sober up a bit, so this episode made some sense, so we went on a little walk. We nice. did. It was lovely. It was nice. It was very pleasant. And what are you drinking today, Charlie? Beer. Beer, nice. Yep. I am back on the wine for this episode. So actually, I've switched up my alcohol for every recording. Oh, that's really good. I know, well done, I mean, I've done vodka and then beer. Yeah, so we switched it up a bit. We haven't done three episodes with yeah. the same thing. I do feel like we definitely need to start getting alcohol sponsors. Because yeah. that would be amazing. Like, Budweiser, if you want to sponsor me, do it. Yeah. Also remember, guys, if you do want us to drink more exciting alcohol or your favourite alcohol or different alcohol, we have a Patreon, which we have started, where one of the reward tiers is for you to choose our alcohol. Within um, reason. Please do not tell us to drink a £5,000 bottle of champagne yeah we're not going to do that but you know within it. reason we will drink the alcohol you choose for us and there are many other rewards and things so it's patreon.com slash goblet of wine yes you are interested in helping us out and torturing us with your sick choices of alcohol yeah so shall we jump in let's jump chapter 14 right in i don't think we have any other notes to do before we start so i love how you're like should we jump in hannah do you want to start talking about what this chapter is because i didn't make notes on it <laughs> Uh, yes. Can you imagine if we switched up the structure and I'm like, so Charlie, what happens in this chapter? Oh my god! Charlie, what happens in this okay, chapter? Okay, so tweet us if you think that we should do that. <laughs> I think for the next episode, for some pure chaos, we should have me actually write out the chapter structure. I really think one episode we should switch it the other way around. Yeah! I should just write, like, my, like big notes or like my shitty jokes and then yeah. you should do because like, we what? were texting earlier because we were both reading at the same time and Hannah was like oh yeah I'm sat down I've got my note I've got my pen and I, I, I'm reading I'm reading and then I was like oh yeah you know I'm moving yeah, and I'm making notes the house. and Hannah's like how are you doing this and I'm like well I've got the audiobook and I'm listening to it and whenever I have a point I just stop what I'm doing <laughs> And I scribble it down illegibly. Yeah, whereas I'm writing bullet thing, bullet points for everything that happens. She has like an essay per chapter. My hand really hurt this morning. I Good. did like six chapters. So yeah, uh, tweet us if you think that for the next episode we should make me write the structure. I think that would be hilarious. Okay. Oh, you, uh, neither of us would have any idea what was going on. You'd have to make like backup notes. I know, I would like just in case. So chapter 14 is Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback. And suddenly it's the Easter holidays and you realise how fast these first books go like yeah. I counted the pages there are three or four like actual 
paper pages in between Christmas and Easter. Mm-hmm. And that's as much time as is, was in between September and Christmas. It's a 12-week yeah. term. Yeah, because at one point, like, Harry goes from, oh, I've begun Hogwarts, it's super scary, to, oh, suddenly he's been here two months. Yeah, and now suddenly it's been another... A term is three months, and yeah. it's like, oh, it's just gone. So just gone. It, it does whiz through this first year, which is understandable because it's a short book. Um, so they're in the library revising, and Hagrid comes in looking all shifty, and they go and look at what he was looking at and realise he was looking at books to do with dragons. Um, so then I, there's this bit, again, I'm just pointing out all the bits about Ron that I love. This is basically my what I do in this podcast. Um, Ron rattles off a perfect fact about dragons, including the date that breeding them was outlawed in Britain. And you realise that... You know, Ron often comes across as like, I don't care about stuff, like, I don't want to learn, I don't want to learn in that way, but stuff he either is interested in or has grown up knowing, he just is there on the top of his yeah. memory. Hermione doesn't know the date the dragon breeding was outlawed, but Ron is just like, yeah, it was in 1709 by the this convention of the warlocks, and I'm mm-hmm. like... Like, you just know this stuff because you grew up in a wizarding family and also it's kind of interesting to you. Yeah, I feel like Harry and Ron's intelligence and talent is constantly underplayed because they're put next to Hermione, they who are, is yeah. just beyond brilliant. Yeah. And you you actually forget that, actually, they're both incredibly talented, really, really smart wizards. Yeah, but they just, they don't care about everything, where Hermione cares about everything, which they're, yeah. you know, more realistic. And I like just when Ron throws out some facts and we're all just all like, okay, yeah. Ron. They... <laughs> Go down to Hagrid's, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Hagrid has a dragon egg in the fire. Um, and then they go away again, and then they come back again because it's hatching again. The chapter switches around quite yeah. a lot. There was one bit, just a line that I picked up on, and I can't remember the context because I don't make proper notes. Yeah. Uh, and it was Hagrid's beard twitched, and they could tell he was smiling. And I love this so much because it implies that he has such a big beard that you cannot well, tell his well. emotionals. Yeah. So just, if he's smiling or he's frowning, it's just like a twitch. Yeah. And I just love that so much because you see him in such like a friendly, smiley character and actually he's got such a beard that you cannot tell. Yeah, he's got such a beard and hair. Like, he's like a wild man. You just just, can't tell what's going on. It's just really comedic. It's really sweet. I love that. Um, So the dragon hatches and Draco sees and he um, runs up back to the school and the trio aren't sure what he knows and how much he knows. And then Hagrid calls himself mummy. <laughs> he calls himself <laughs> mummy. I just really like yeah. it. Yeah. So, he doesn't call himself daddy, he calls himself mummy. Yeah. I mean, I think we briefly talked, and we will much later on in the books, I'm sure, about how Hagrid is the only example within the Harry Potter books. There's a lot of examples in the Harry Potter books of characters defying gender norms, and Hagrid is the only positive example. Yeah, definitely. And it's a very positive example, and he is like an amalgamation of so many different gender norms. Like, yeah. it all just mashed together, and I just love this dragon hatch. He's like, oh, I'm his mummy! And I'm like, of course you're his mummy. Ah. Of course you're the dragon's mummy! Oh. I just love it, because a mummy doesn't have to be a woman, it's just he wants to be the dragon's mummy. Mm-hmm. It's just lovely. So, but then they realise, you know, the dragon's growing fast and Hagrid's an idiot. And by the mm. way, like, I love Hagrid. Of course I love Hagrid. But these kids are under so much stress and pressure yeah. and have to sort the entire dragon thing out all by themselves because Hagrid is being that irresponsible. And they're 11. They're 11. It's a lot of work for them to sort all this out. And Hagrid, you know, I understand why he's being irresponsible because he loves this dragon. Yeah. But also, like, it's a lot for them to do. Yeah. Something that I picked up on with mm. Hagrid, though, um 
you know, within these dragon chapters, is how obviously they have to drink, is it brandy and uh, chicken blood? Yeah. Mm. And then it mentions at one point how, you know, after a few days of having this dragon and it's growing more and more, his house is full of chicken feathers and brandy bottles. Mm. And I think something that is always associated with Hagrid is, oh, Hagrid loves animals. He really loves animals. He's such an animal person. He is not. Like, he is willing to, like, murder a bunch of chickens yeah. and drain their blood. If you love animals, you could not do that. Well, Hagrid does not love animals. Hagrid loves monsters. Well, I, I do think, I think he likes and respects all animals. But I think what he really does respect, which is quite a natural thing, is he respects the food chain and the progression of the food chain. And if one animal least didn't eat another animal to survive, then that's fine. But I don't... I mean, yeah, he probably does. But what I see it as, he loves monsters because he identifies with them so much. Yeah. Because he is half giant yeah. and he is you know, all the time thrown in with them and he sees himself as being misunderstood because he's big and he's hairy yeah. and he's scary, but actually that's not how he is. And that's why he synthesised. You know, it's not actually that he loves animals so much because he's willing to slaughter a load of chickens. Mm. Um, and that's not the only time we, you know, the only example that we see in the book. Oh yeah, he throws raw meat around all the time whenever an animal exactly. is feeding. He, he loves monsters because he sees them as misunderstood like himself. And it's just, yeah. oh, I love him so I much. I love him so much. He sees all, um, all monsters as misunderstood. So the kids write to Charlie um, because they're like, Charlie has to take this dragon in. Like, Hagrid cannot deal with this. So they write to Charlie, like, thank God Charlie's there. Thank God Charlie did run off after some dragons like we talked about in the last episode. Like, he is the one that saves the day. And Charlie writes back, like, it's totally normal for three 12-year-olds to have a dragon at Hogwarts. He's like, yeah, Ron, how are you? I'll I take know. the dragon. Of course I will. I will. He think, just the way. He is the ultimate, like, old bro. bro. He's just like, look, you've got your shit. I'm not going to question it. Yeah, right? Like, he's like, oh, yeah, youngest brother. He's doing fine. Oh, no, he's worse than the twins. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll just help. I, like, I think sense. he must have got so much shit over the years from friend George. He's just like... Oh, Rom's up to it as well. Well, of course I'm going to help him out. I'm Charlie. I, I like to think that he always knew that Ron was going to be worse. Yeah, I do as well. He was there like, Ron's the one. Like, Ron's the one to watch. Yeah, Ron, you know, he's just had me a letter. He's got a dragon. Not going to question it. Always thought it would happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's just such a great older bro in this moment. Because I also think, I think I've read that Charlie was like a bit of a, like a little bit of a wild one at Hogwarts and he used to sneak into the Forbidden Forest and go yeah. like look at all the animals in there. And that's how him and Hagrid got to know each other really well. Um, I think I read that. I could be making that up. So I like the fact he's just like, yeah, this is chill. Yeah, it like, seems legit. It seems legit. And again, I mentioned this in the last episode, but again, he's just set up as the more important of the two older brothers. Like, he's yeah. quite important in the first book and mentioned a lot more than Bill. Yeah, and then like, he just ceases to exist. Yeah, there's some books where he's not even mentioned Is he once. the one that in the film just isn't cast? Yeah, no, they never cast him. Yeah. Like, Which is crazy. Sad. Yeah. Because yeah. in the seventh book, he actually has a role. It's just kind of forgotten about. Yeah. So, again, this chapter jumps around quite a lot, but um, the, the trio, I believe, are taking it in turns to sneak out at night and help feed the dragon. Again, Hagrid, like, I Come love on. you, but you're being really irresponsible. Like, you are not giving good care to these yeah. three kids. And it's also such amazing sacrifice for them. They really haven't known him that long. No, and they're giving up time. They're giving up, they're putting themselves under a lot of stress. Like, he is an adult with the school. They could just go, fuck it, he can deal with it himself. I yeah. don't care. But and they're no, putting they their education him. at risk. If they got expelled for that, that's yeah. their entire life. And they're doing it for I know, they are. So cute. So Ron's down there feeding Norbert whilst Harry and Hermione are back in the common room. And Ron ends up getting bitten by the dragon. Ends up in the hospital wing. Has This is a bit where the plot is just like sped through. Ron's put the letter 
in a book. The letter from Charlie in a book. Malfoy visits Ron in the hospital wing to take the mick out of him, borrows a book to, pre to give the pretense of why he's there, and the letter Charlie gave Ron is in the book. In later books, I realised, this would take up four pages of how Ron ended up in the hospital wing, how mm. Malfoy came in and said some shit about him being poor. It's literally two sentences in the book. It's like, and, and Malfoy came in and the book was gone and the letter was in the book. Yeah. It's like, okay, I have to unpick this. Like, that's quite a lot of information you just get. Also, like... Get a new plot device, JK. Yeah, you know, the Draco's, uh, the Malfoy's borrowing a book. Hmm. I wonder if that happens again later no, on. No, of course it doesn't. And Malfoy would never go to the hospital wing just to take the mick out of someone. It That's would a involve, lot of effort. It would involve spending time with them as well. Well, no, at this point he knows about the dragon and he's trying to catch them out, I guess. Yeah. So that is why. So Harry and Hermione, that's why it's just them two going to get the dragon. Because this is something where the film kind of overtakes it in my brain because I always think it's three of them and it's not. Ron's in the hospital wing. So Harry and Ryan go get the dragon off of Hagrid. They're taking it up to the tower. They see Professor McGonagall walking past with Malfoy. So Malfoy has been out at night trying to catch them out to tell them to a teacher, mm. but he's ended up getting caught. So then they arrive at the tower. This all happens so fast, by the way. They arrive at the tower, they give away the dragon, they head back downstairs, and they haven't got the cloak on. It's just so dumb. Like, how dumb are you? Hermione, I know. you're meant to be the smart one, and you left the invisibility cloak upstairs. Like, all this stuff that happens afterwards, all the trouble they get in, I'm like, you left the cloak upstairs. Like, why are you so dumb? And that gives me such anxiety. Like, someone else is gonna go up there. Well, they did. Get it. Dumbledore did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that happens in the next chapter we haven't read yet. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it just, but like at the time it gives me anxiety. I'm like, but it's there, someone's gonna see it and take oh my it. God, yeah. And uh, oh, it's just. I find, have you got any more notes on that chapter? Because ev oh, that's a lot of plot. Like, within one chapter, Hagrid gets the dragon, raises the dragon, and the dragon goes. Yeah. All in one chapter. It's a hell of a lot of plot from mm -hmm. what was essentially a four page chapter. Yeah. Like, it felt rushed, sorry. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's my feelings. Did you have any more notes on the chapter? Nope. Yeah, I had two notes on that chapter. I just assumed the dragon thing happened over about three chapters. No, it's it's really rushed. I didn't yeah. like it. Sorry. Mm. I feel like we're, like... The first book's quite odd. There's some chapters which go into so much detail and explain stuff really well, and I think she got a bit rushed in some of these chapters, and I just yeah. feel it's like... It's probably fine for children, like this was aimed at 10 and 11 year olds, and this probably works really well, but for me, I'm like, okay, can you explain more about all this dragon stuff. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Then we move on to chapter 15, which is actually quite a lot longer and has a lot more in it. And you're very excited uh, about this it, one. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I've overhyped over it. So just before we begin, please now lower your standards. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mine is still high. So oh it, God. It, it kicks off right where the last one left. So it's a good thing we're doing these two together. So they get to Professor McGonagall's office and it turns out Neville has also been caught out of bed. Because Neville heard Malfoy talking yeah. about the dragon and got out of bed at night to warn Harry that Malfoy was trying to f get him in trouble. Which, number one, is really brave of Neville. Yeah. What I love about this is that Jay, uh, that um, McGonagall is so shocked that how dare these students be out of bed. Like, mm. it's, you know, she says that it's the most, like, disappointing she's ever yeah. been in Gryffindor students. And it's ridiculous. And at this point, I'm like, has she given up on... 
um, the twins. Yeah, Fred and George have done worse, my God. Yeah, like, they've definitely done worse. And I like to think, you know, this happens at 1am. Like, could you imagine being a teacher and every time a student in your house is out of bed, yeah. you have to get out of bed and tell them off. I like to think at this point she's just given up. She's like, Filch, you know, next time the twins are out of the bed, just don't tell, tell me. me. I don't care. They're fine. Yeah. I just would rather sleep. Yeah. I can't get up every night at 2am no. to tell them off. Well, I think part of her disappointment is the fact they're first years because I feel like she mm. kind of not expects it from the late years. But, you know, when a fifth year is roaming the corridor, she's like, you're an idiot. Yeah. But, you know, you're probably not going to accidentally kill yourself at your age. Mm. And, you know, you're in trouble. When first years do it, she's just like, how dare you disrespect my rules this early yeah. on? Like, I made rules and you are breaking them. Mm -hmm. um, but Neville's really brave to be able to... You, we know he hates getting out of bed at night and wandering around the school. And he does it to try to find Harry. And he's also very loyal. So loyal, so loyal. Yeah. But then... Neville believes that the whole thing was a lie started by Harry. I know. Because Harry can't tell yeah. him it was a dragon, which is really sad. Yeah. But have you read the theory about Neville and Miss Ron? Neville and his... Wow. Neville and his Ron. Yeah, that well I'm assuming that you have. Yes. Yes. So, so the theory... Got, well, it's not just a theory. For me, it is now canon. Oh, yeah. It's and canon. it's an amazing realisation when I read it. So it, it is that Neville... The only reason Neville is so bad at magic and is seen as stupid in the first five books is because he's using his dad's old wand. Yeah. Which is, you know, obviously something very like, you know, nostalgic and important for him, but that's why he can't do magic because it's the one that he Yeah. People are like, oh, he doesn't become a Gryffindor until later on. Like, it's like, no, he does, you know, not only does he come out now and, you know, try and warn Harry, but then later on he, you know, stands up to them. He has always been a Gryffindor. He's just, you know, yeah. He's not technically great at magic, but that's because of his wand. Because it's even, not his people wand. People also say, oh, you know, suddenly in sixth year he got a lot better. And I'm like, yeah, because he was using the right wand. But do you yeah. know that also applies to Ron? Mm hmm. So yeah. Ron can't, clearly can't actually do spells as, as well as Harry and Hermione in the first two books. And then actually he gets quite a bit significantly better in the third one. And you're like, he has a wand of his own. Of course yeah. he does. He's no longer using Charlie's old wand. Exactly. Quite exactly. amazing, actually. Yeah. Um, oh, it just made me so sad. So then they lose 50 house points each. Which, for some reason, adds up to 150. Which I understand maybe she let Neville off. Because, but Wait, like, what are you talking about? So they lose 50 points yes. each. And then she says, so it's 150 points. Yeah, because there's three of them. Yeah, no, but Neville was also out of bed. Yes, and was that out. makes three of them. Was it not Hermione as well? Harry, Hermione, Neville. Ron is oh, in the hospital. I just talked about this. I, no, I misread that. This is the thing. The film makes you think it's all three of them all the time, but it's not. Ron's yeah. in the hospital and he's not okay. involved in this. Yeah. No, I misread. I read that. Well, no, I listened to that badly whilst moving my possessions. Okay. It's also, it's also just really harsh. Up until this point, it's been five points here, five points here, five points here, and suddenly it's 150 points. It's a bit extreme. It, and she's clearly really disappointed in them and, and it's really like in, pissed off. Yeah, in later books, it's like being out of bed like seems like less of a rule break. In the first book, it's like this massive thing that they get in such serious trouble from and then by like, you know, the sixth book, it's like, oh, just standard practice. Yeah, it's fine. You're just a bit told off, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe it's because it's so dangerous because they're first years. But maybe is it it's that because much? what's going to happen to them in first year that wouldn't in sixth? I don't know. They do accidental magic and kill each other. I don't admit they fall off the top of a tower. I think she's just really disappointed in these kids. I think she had quite high hopes for Harry. Mm. And I think... He, but let her down. And I think she had very high hopes for Hermione as well. And I think mm. she feels let down by them, actually. Yeah, but, like, she shouldn't have. Like, at the end of the day, like, you know, Harry's dad was... James. Yeah, she shouldn't. She should never have had high hopes. Yeah. So then 
By the next day, literally everyone hates Harry. Like everyone despises him because he's the kid that lost him 150 points. And it also says the Quidditch team won't even talk to him and will only refer to him as the seeker. And I'm like, um, guys, that's Fred and George as well. Like, bit harsh, Oliver, Fred, George, Angelina. Like, you're not yeah. even going to call him Harry. You're just referring to it. Like, are Fred and George the involved seeker. in this the seeker thing? It's really mean. I, I feel like they would be because they do care about Quidditch a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so mean of them. Mm-hmm. But, it, but what it made me realise, and I think what it makes Harry realise is he is just a dumb first year. Like, it doesn't matter that he's famous. It doesn't matter that he's the famous Harry Potter. At the end of the day, all these kids are, like, 15, 16, and he's, like, some dumb 11-year-old yeah. who has ruined the year for them. Yeah, and I feel like this is a pattern that we see repeated all throughout the Harry Potter books of Harry going through peaks of being, like, you know, really, like, famous and well-loved to absolutely hated, to yeah. famous and well-loved to absolutely, absolutely hated. hated. Yeah, And he really does have the entire castle turn against him be in his favour, turn against him, and yeah. it's just repeated, like, cycles. Yeah, it is. It is, definitely. And at this point, you know, I can see why people would absolutely hate him. Like, they'd be mm. like, this kid has lost us all these points because he's an arrogant little shit who thinks he's famous. Yeah. I Like, I would hate him. So, um, then... Drink your wine, bitch. I'm sorry. Of little so then they go off to the detention, which, ironically, for being told off for being out of bed at night is a detention... Yeah, being out of bed at night. Mm-hmm. It's, um, makes total sense. I guess it's one of logic. I think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, so you wanted this, so you get more yeah. of it than you want. I think it is, yeah. Um, so they head into the Forbidden Forest with Hagrid to find a unicorn, because Hagrid's been seeing a lot of unicorn blood. Um, they're split off into Malfoy, Neville and Fang, and Harry, Hermione and Hagrid. Um, and they bump into Ronan the centaur, mm-hmm. um, and he keeps saying, Mars is bright tonight. Mars yes. is bright tonight. Your eyes lit up like, this is the shit I wanted to talk about, Hannah. Yeah. Because this is, like, this entire encounter with the centaurs is why I think this chapter is so important. Yeah. Not only within the book, but within the series, because... She's setting a lot up here, like, a lot up. The entire... Everything that happens is... Not necessarily foreshadowed, but it's one of the scenes where you can really see that she knew everything that was going to happen. So let's unpack it slowly. Let's not rush through it. So let's just concentrate on the line, because there's stuff that's happened later on, I don't want to rush ahead to that. Let's just concentrate on the line, Mars is bright tonight. Yeah. How did you, what did you get from that? So it's the Roman god of war. Yes, that's exactly what I wrote down. Yeah, which is Ares. Is that how you say Ares? I think so. Which is the father of... Romulus and Remus. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Very and nice. This is Very so nice. Earlier, and it will be up by now, but earlier me and Hannah actually recorded a video for Hannah's YouTube channel, channel um, where I talked about Romulus and Remus. Yeah, and I came to a stunning realization. Even though I know the story of Romulus and Remus really well, I've managed to just misread a bit of Harry Potter. And again, this is why I love these books, because however old I get and however many times I reread, there are moments when I'm like... Fuck, this is so clever for a children's book. It's just so clever in general. Yeah. But Mars is... Yeah, so Mars is the god of war. And obviously, there's a bit later on to do with the centaurs. Not later on in this book, later on in general, where it says something about we're in a period between two wars. I think it's in mm-hmm. the fifth book it mentions that. But Mars is the god of war. And the and obviously, when, it, when they're saying it's shining brightly in the sky, it's shining the colour 
red, which will typically indicate pain and fury and things like that. Let's do a more plot and then we'll circle back to the centaurs when they come back in. Harry ends up with Malfoy and Fang because Malfoy played the trick on Neville. Then they find a unicorn and they watch as something comes up and starts to drink its blood. Um, creepy. Very creepy. It is a terrifying scene. It's really It's one of those scary. scenes, I feel like as an adult, I shouldn't get scared by Harry Potter anymore. But most of the time when I'm reading Harry Potter, I'm not reading it. I'm listening to it on the audio book when I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. And there's something, when you read this kind of scene. It's the and slithering. And you're in bed and it's completely dark and, you know, it's. It's Hagrid just hearing a slither, like a slithering noise. There's something very scary about a slithering noise. In the dark. Over in the dead wood. leaves. Yeah, like mm. in the woods as well. Like some, you know, places you could hear kind of like a slithering noise. Yeah. And you'd be like, okay, fair enough. But like the woods is not one of them. No. I don't know. Um, so a, a new centaur, Forens, is it Forens or Forensi? I think it's Forens. Forensi. Forens. I always thought of it as Forens. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So a new centaur, Forens, comes and saves him, and he says that when you drink, I'm, oh, I'm skipping around a bit. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna skip around mm. a bit because it's the easiest way I can do it in my head. Because we're talking about the unicorn. He says that when you drink the blood of a centaur, you have a half life or a curse life, and this led me to a question which I don't actually know the answer to. Is it Quirrell or Voldemort drinking the blood, and who is it that has the cursed life now? Is it both? Whose face is drinking the blood? Well, it's Quirrell's. Because Voldemort has a mouth. But uh, that's in the film, not in the book. No, he does have it. He speaks. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he definitely has a mouth. Because I like, always assumed it was Quirrell who's but drinking. Because like, otherwise like, you'd have to like, yeah. bend but over like, backwards and it'd be this stupid. Is, this is a weird mixed message. Because in other forms of possession that we see in the Harry Potter book, mm. it's more like a spiritual possession. This is the only time when it manifests in a physical way. I assume that's dark magic that's been done so he can purposely manifest himself like that. Yeah, it's still a weird mixed message. It though. is very weird. <gasps> we haven't talked about Quirrell's name. I'll wait till we get to the chapter. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna save it until Voldemort's face is revealed. But yeah, so I'm gonna assume it's Quirrell drinking the blood, but is it then Quirrell or Voldemort who has the cursed life? Maybe both. Maybe both. I don't know. I, I feel like definitely both. If, yeah, definitely both, because at the end of the day, like Quirrell's the one that slaughtered the unicorn. And they're sharing a life force technique. Yeah. yeah, and I I feel like you know it's the act of murdering a unicorn that yeah. is the don't do it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so then other centaurs run in. The Bane mm -hmm. and the other one I can't even remember. The other centaurs run in, and basically they start saying some very. I think this is the bit you were probably making a lot of notes about. They start saying some very interesting things about Harry. Mm. So Forensic basically says, "Do you not know who this is? This is the Potter boy." So, which means the centaurs, like, know about Harry. Yeah. But that led me to Well, they know like, everything. Yeah, but what do they know and what do... They... So then they're saying, do you not know what's written in the stars about him? And I'm like, what is written in the stars about him? Like, tell me. Okay, so I think that the centaurs know that Voldemort will kill Harry. Yeah. Because they the say... Because... So they, they're talking all about, oh, you know, it's written in the stars, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, Ferenc says a bit where he's like... Um, 
the stars have been misread before even by centaurs and I hope that that's what's happening now and I yeah. think that is what's happening now where they can see that Harry will be killed that there will be a war and that Harry yeah. will be killed by Voldemort no, and I, I think agree. that is where they're misreading it you know he says I hope we're misreading it which is the foreshadowing that they are I think what they're misreading is that Harry will die by Voldemort because he kind of does but I don't think they are misreading it because I think to all intents and purposes Voldemort does kill yeah, Harry so I think they are seeing that but what they could never foreshadow is the blood magic that stopped Harry actually dying exactly. and I also think it does link to the fact that Harry ends up and it's quite significant dying at Voldemort's hands in the Forbidden Forest mm -hmm. and maybe that's why they can see it so clearly because it's not just what's written in the yeah. stars it's like the magic around them yeah but it's really interesting as well because obviously you know the other centaurs are so like you know friends you shouldn't be saying anything you shouldn't you know be helping mm. them you know this is not our place because maybe it's he not changed our... the fortune of the stars by telling Harry stuff. yeah and he would have yeah um, you know, the whole point of Harry dying is that he thought that he was genuinely dying. If he had known that he wasn't, then the magic would not have worked to protect everyone else. It's a very good point. He had to believe he was really going to die to save everyone. Exactly. And, you know, they're saying, you know, because it's not, you know, you think that friends, you know, at the time when you first read it, you think that he's being really nice and he's telling Harry what is going on because he does tell him a lot. Yeah. But actually he's not. He knows exactly what will go on and he knows that Harry will be killed by Voldemort and he says so little. Well, I don't think he knows. He believes because even the centaurs constantly kind of go, but we could be wrong. We're not oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, imprecise. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they all clearly have talked about the fact that the Potter boy is back, but he will die at the hands of Voldemort. Exactly. And I think, yeah, without a question, that is what they know. And, you know, I think that is key from the fact that he says we've been wrong before. Yeah. I think that's really sells it for me that that is what they're all about. Yeah, definitely. Um, There's also what uh friend says before that he says before that actually um so he's kind of telling harry what's going on and he basically says as much as you know Voldemort's back mm. he's you know harry's like oh but who would want a half-life and then friends is like can you think of no one yeah and then harry's like oh shit it's Voldemort. Voldemort's back because yeah, up until this point we've just been like he's just been like a snape it's snape he's evil he's evil but yeah. no it's Voldemort. and i just think that this is something like so traumatic and absolutely horrific when you think about Harry like Harry's life has started for the first time you know like what like eight months before this mm -hmm. like his life has really begun mm -hmm. he's only just discovered the magical wizarding world he's you know he's popular here he's powerful here mm -hmm. he has money here it's like everything he could ever hoped for and more and he's finally in a place where he's happy and he feels like he's belong he belongs and he feels like he's at peace and then it's like the dark wizard that killed your parents and that wants to kill you is back. Yeah. Welcome! And it's like he had, you know, so few months to enjoy this. Yeah. You know, completely guessing it, saying it's probably like eight months. But it yeah, must no, be around that. No, you're right. And he goes back to the common room and wakes Ron up and talks about it. And it, it that very much comes across. He's very, he's like suddenly very angry and he's like... He just says, he says something about how, you know, this man, you know, killed my parents and mm. it, it all comes back to him. This is bigger than just Snape wanting the stone. And it's sad that he has to think about this at such a young age. Yeah. And this is why I think it's like one of the like best and most important chapters, definitely within the earliest books, because we have Harry realising this is the first time when you get the bigger picture that it's not just like, oh, some, you know villain of the day baddie of the week mm -hmm. kind of way you're watching a tv show and it's just the big bad that they're up against that episode whereas actually you know it this is 
you know, this is a long term, this is a long haul, this is Voldemort is back, Voldemort mm. could come back for real, you were fighting him from the first time you, you know, discovered that you're a wizard, mm. this is the overarching plot, this is him discovering that right from the beginning he has to be vo fighting Voldemort from mm. the moment he discovers a wizard, right up until he's, however, like 1920, mm. you know, this is... 17. 17, so this is the start of like a six, seven year fight. Yeah. And this is the first time when you, you, you as a reader and Harry learn about that yeah. and realise that it's part of the bigger picture. And there's, this is also where you start to get the foreshadowing into what will actually happening, what will actually happen. And mm. you learn that the centaurs know about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it really comes full circle, like you said, with Harry then dying in the Forbidden Forest. I think that this is the chapter that really does summarise all that and show that J.K. Rowling was thinking about the bigger picture. Definitely. This is why I like doing this because I've like read that chapter so many times and I've never appreciated it. Yeah. And now that I've read it and I'm like, oh fuck, now that I'm analysing this, so much comes together. Yeah, and I've always just kind of breezed past the centaurs, but actually like, there was a lot there. There was a lot there. There was so much there. So that is all the chapters we're going to read this episode. We were just discussing whether we should do one more and then we came to the stunning realisation that there's only two chapters left in the entire book. Which is mad. Like I thought there were three or four left but there's two left so that's going to be the last episode. We've basically finished the first season of this podcast. Okay but you're getting, we haven't yet. Oh, Alright we'll I'm get getting emotional a, next episode. I'm getting ahead of myself. What did you think of these two chapters? You clearly really liked I, them. I did. And yeah. I, I, yeah, surely you must as well. I did. I thought chapter 14 was rushed, really yeah. rushed. Mm -hmm. um, but I liked chapter 15. Um, I think it really opened up the wider picture of Harry Potter. But also, it's quite amazing that they basically don't mention Voldemort till yeah. the, till the end exactly. of the book, essentially. Like, before yeah. this, it's all been small scale. It's been, it's a teacher who's bad and we want to fight against him. And then suddenly, in one chapter, it all cracks open. Yeah. It's like, no, this is the entire wizarding yeah. world. This is bad. Mm -hmm. It takes it from being a one-off children's book to a YA series. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's a good one. So you clearly, you, you liked these chapters. I did, yeah. Yeah. And how are you feeling about the next episode? Ah, oh, like, weird. Like, I kind of thought, obviously we really enjoyed doing this, but I did think we would record, like, one episode and give up. Yeah, Just I because did. I know how inconsistent I am with things, but I think because we're two people doing it, it means that we actually kick each other's ass in gear of, like, right, we need to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I'm emotional and I'm really excited to start book two, definitely. I think the more that we get into the later books, the more, like, massive, massive plots that we're going to have to go into. 100%. And I thought we were dawdling over book one, but suddenly I'm amazed at how quickly yeah. it's gone. Um, I mean, we are getting ahead of ourselves. We've got one more to film. But, honestly, I didn't realise how few chapters are in this book until right this second where we paused recording. I said, should we record one more? And I was like, let me just count how many are left. Two. So no, we have to save the yeah. last two for one episode. Yeah, but I'm really excited. Um, yeah. I'm really excited to summarise this book and to get started with the next one. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. Make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcasting app to listen to new episodes every fortnight. If you're feeling extra lovely, you can also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We also have a Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod where you can come chat to us, get updates and see behind the scenes content. And finally, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash goblet of wine. We love running this podcast, but it can be expensive at times, so Patreon really helps us out. There's loads of great rewards like bonus content behind the scenes and being the people to pick our alcohol each episode. 
So thank you so much again for listening and we'll see you in our next episode. Bye. Bye.